When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters and it's episode 70 of the podcast. I'm really glad you could join us for today's episode. going to spend a lot of time talking about drafted prospects today, but also of course the 2023 NHL draft as we do every single week and really looking forward to it. I'm going to be heading out to Laval, Quebec to go to the AHL All-Star festivities. I'm going to be spending some time out there because there's a lot of high-end prospects that will be taking part in the game this year. Uh, so going to go out there and have a, a conversation with a number of those prospects and also get a chance to see them up close uh, in one place. And yes, it's an all-star setting, so it's not going to be a real evaluation opportunity, but it is going to be an opportunity to, to, to see a lot of the top prospects and get a handle on how they're doing. But what a fun year it's going to be for the AHL All-Star Classic. A lot of different players that I'm really looking forward to seeing and talking to. A lot of young guys in the AHL continuing to stand out this year as so many young draft pros or young prospects that were recently drafted are now in the league. So we'll be talking about that extensively. Also want to recap the CHL top prospects game. I was there last week. Got a chance to see a lot of the top 2023 draft eligibles in the CHL, including, of course, Connor Bedard. We'll talk about that for a little bit. And I also have a couple of different college hockey notes and other things just to kind of share from different games that I've been to and things like that. And of course, we'll always get to your questions and answer those questions. Before we do get into the podcast today, I want to remind you, you can always watch episodes of Talking Hockey Sense either on YouTube or on flowhockey.tv. They are free of charge. You can check it out anywhere, anytime. Also, you can always download this podcast on your podcast app of choice. And if you would do me the biggest favor and leave a kind rating and review, it really does help. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not joking. If you can do that, it really does help the podcast. I know that there are a lot of you people out here that listen to the podcast every single week and would love to hear your thoughts and and see what you uh, what you can say about the podcast because we really want this to continue to reach new audiences and get people as educated as they can be on the prospect world. So make sure you do that. And as always, subscribe to Flow Hockey. We've got a lot of great content coming your way in terms of games and and a lot of the you know we're getting close to the college hockey playoff season the ccha tournament the atlantic hockey tournament also of course the echl season in full swing and the ushl only continues to heat up we've had a lot of great games in the last couple of weeks and there's a lot of good young prospects that you'll definitely want to follow so make sure you are subscribed to flow hockey get that annual subscription get the best value so that you can get all of those games uh right at your own fingertips right there on your on your app or on your laptop or wherever you can watch the game, that is where you can find Flow Hockey. So make sure you do that. And uh, also you get access to all of Flow Sports offerings, including grappling, wrestling, racing. I mean, there's so much on there that you have to check out. And I, I'm even becoming a bit of a jujitsu fan, the way that uh, things are going right now. And, and we got a lot of fun stuff happening at Flow Grappling. So uh, definitely check that out. All right, so let's get into the podcast and let's get, talk about some of the topics at hand. And I want to do want to start with the CHL Top Prospects game before we move over to the AHL Prospects. And uh, on flowhockey.tv, you can see my uh, standout player reviews. I put a lot of notes on a number of players on flowhockey.tv from my travels there. And, you know, obviously the main attraction was Connor Bedard. He didn't have any points. It wasn't, you know, necessarily his best showing. He still did have six shots on goal. He was dominant at the faceoff circle. He was physical. He even took a penalty late in the game, which probably wasn't the best idea with his team trailing. Uh, but, you know, we still saw a lot of the glimpses of Connor Bedard of, of what makes him special. He was making a lot of nice plays. But, you know, that him not scoring allowed other players to stand out. And oddly enough, one of the guys that really stood out was on his own line, Zach Benson, who at this point very well could be a top seven pick in this NHL draft. Some even think he could go as high as five, maybe even four. 
Um, but, you know, Zach Benson, not the tallest guy, but an incredibly crafty player, extremely competitive off the puck. Um, and, you know, I think that that's really one of the things that allows him to continue to endear himself to scouts, despite the fact that he doesn't have great size. He is incredibly aggressive with his puck, off puck play. He's devastating on the forecheck where he just gets his stick in the way and he makes a lot of different plays and makes a lot of good decisions with the puck as well. And then on top of that, he can score. He's not an amazing skater, but he's a good enough skater. He's he's able to close on pucks quickly. He's able to make some plays, and then he's got real craftiness in his skill and creativity, and so that helps him be a really good player. So you know, and and he's he's scoring at at an extremely high rate in the WHL. So Zach Benson, I think, did himself some favors there. I think the guy that maybe helped himself the most at the CHL Top Prospects game was Seattle Thunderbirds goalie Scott Ratzlaff. He was incredible in the game. He made 24 out of 25, stopped 24 out of 25 shots, um, you know, was going head to head against Connor Bedard and really was the difference in the game. You know, having that that real barrage that he faced um, stopped Riley Height on a Michigan attempt. I thought Scott Ratzlaff was, to me, the best player. I thought he deserved player of the game honors for Team White, though it did go to Carson Rakoff, who was also very good. Uh, but I thought Scott Ratzlaff was really the difference maker in that game. Uh, but Carson Rakoff had two points, including uh, a goal that that broke a deadlock late in the third or it, early in the third period, with some really nice moves. Um, you know, plays for the Kitchener Rangers. He's been one of those guys that has been up and down all year. He's kind of hovered around the first round discussion, but he hasn't played consistently enough to stay in that discussion. I think it was a good reminder of the full complement of skills that he has. He's got tremendous hands, good size. You know, fine. The skating is fine. And he really, you know, he scored off the rush and it was a major league shot that I thought that, you know, really was impressive. Um, some of the other guys that I thought helped themselves in this game, Grayson Sachin from also from Seattle and and really, you know, a, a guy that that has had decent numbers this year, not amazing numbers, but incredibly skilled. Um, you know, I think the thing he's going to have to continue to get stronger, but I thought, you know, his skating looked fine. His hands looked outstanding. Some of the plays that he was making, then he also competed really hard. I mean. You know, that's the thing is if you're an undersized guy or if you're, you know, lighter uh, as he is, you have to show that you can compete and fight through checks and do a lot. I thought that he did that. And that was a really good showing for him. So Grayson Sachin, you know, an interesting guy. He's a, a U.S. Canadian dual citizen. He played at the national team development program last year, decided to leave to go to Seattle. And it was funny because, you know, he leaves the NTDP where, you know, there's a depth. There's a lot of it's a deep team. There's maybe you're not getting as many opportunities to go to Seattle. And Seattle's one of the best teams in the CHL. And so it's a deep team. So he's not getting necessarily the ice time to put up big numbers, but very interesting nonetheless. Grayson Sachin, big game for him. Um, you know, another guy that I thought really helped himself was Cam Allen. And we've talked about Cam Allen on this podcast at the beginning of the season. I thought he might be the best defenseman available in this draft. You know, he's an OHL rookie of the year last year, had a tremendous season. His numbers have been not there this year, the offensive numbers. Not there. I don't think it's necessarily indicative of his skill set because I do think that he's quite skilled still. He's not necessarily dynamic by any means, but he moves pucks really effectively. And the thing that I liked most about his game was how quickly and decisively he was moving pucks under pressure. He didn't really, you know, nothing really phased him. He was finding the right outlets. He was getting pucks up ice and his team was able to break out. And I think, you know, the question is, does he have enough offense to be a top four defenseman in the NHL? It's something that we're going to have to continue to to look at and discuss. He's not the biggest guy either, you know, so like what exactly is he going to be? That's the question. But I thought that he reminded scouts at that game of what he's capable of, and sometimes that's the best you can hope for. So really good showing for him. You know, Carson Bjarnason, another goaltender, playing for the Brandon Wheat Kings this year. Didn't get tested a ton, but I do think that he showed well. He's got that size, he's got that calmness between the pipes. He doesn't waste a lot of movement. And I thought he looked like a pro goalie. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why he's, you know, at this point, the top ranked uh, central scouting goaltender. He's certainly one of the guys that I, that I have in the mix as uh, one of the top two or three goalies in this draft class. But, you know, he's a little, got a little more polish than some of his uh, competitors for the top of that class. So good players there. I think Oliver Bonk was another player that I really liked. He played a lot against Connor Bedard. He got under Bedard's skin, definitely frustrated him a bit. Um, I thought the skating looked good for Bonk. I thought he made some nice reads, nice plays. 
Um, and so he's a guy that's been on the rise and certainly getting into that first round discussion out of the London Knights. And um, it's, it's always good to see at that setting, you know, those players kind of stand up and say, you know, take those challenges. I'm going to play Bedard. I'm going to go head to head with Bedard. I'm going to play hard. And I think that Oliver Bonk did that. So a really good uh, showing for him. So as we mentioned, Connor Bedard held off the score sheet. So what did he do? His first game back, three goals, one assist for Regina. So he's right back on track. He's at 85 points now this season, having one of the best scoring seasons in the WHL in 30 years and uh, just a remarkable season so far. Not a, exactly the most memorable top prospects game, but what are we going to do? We we're, Are we going to uh, throw him uh, into the bus pile? <laughs> of course not. We're not going to do that. At any point this season, we know what Connor Bedard is. And uh, I think that overall, uh, he is going to be quite good. But we've got a lot of really good players that were participants in that game. I think it's going to be a strong year for the CHL, um, particularly at the top of the draft. I think the first round is absolutely going to be a place where where they are finding uh, a lot of success and a lot of players. There's going to be a lot of Canadians going early in this draft. And you know we've had a couple of drafts in the last few years where it wasn't as strong. Um, you know, it's not necessarily the strongest year for the OHL. You might only have a couple of guys, but this is a big year for the WHL. And I thought that those WHL players really showed well over the course of that game in a WHL building that was uh, provided a great atmosphere and it was a really entertaining game. So always enjoy that. I think the CHL top prospects game, as far as top prospects games go, um, always gives you a little something. Um, it's not something that you're going to hang an entire evaluation on, but it's going to be it's going to give you other things to think about when you see players side by side um, with their peers. One other thing too, and I, I've mentioned this before, I always like to go to the off the on ice testing. And the on ice testing is a, measures a lot of different things: speed, agility, um, you know, different things like that. So you get a real good opportunity to see a player's skating ability. Now, it's not in a game situation, and that's really where you have to be careful about reading too much into the results. But guys that really performed well in those events, guys like uh, uh, Hunter Brustevich, uh, Bo Aiki, um, you know, th those were players that, that showed well, that they showed speed, agility, quickness, all these different things. Um, and you like seeing that. You like seeing that isolated from the game setting so that you just kind of get a chance to get a feel for those players. So those were a couple of the guys that really, really stood out to me in that testing uh, situation. And it's always fascinating to watch those, those results come in. It's not usually the top tier guys don't always perform all that well. Um, in that event, and that was certainly true. You know, I think that Connor Bedard maybe ended up in the top five in only a couple of categories, uh, but that was interesting enough. All right, so we're going to move into our AHL discussion because I will be heading to Laval to see the top prospects, and I just want to kind of run down a number of the guys that are, you know, there. There are certainly some AHL veterans in the game, guys like TJ Tynan. Um, you know, that, that, that have been in the league for a long time. We're not necessarily looking at them as NHL prospects so much as we are. You know, there are guys that fill out organizational depth. But this year in particular, there is a number of high-end prospects. I just, you know, there are four teams. They're going to play that three-on-three -three tournament. They're also going to have the skills competition, which is probably what I'm most looking forward to, is going to see that skills competition in person. Uh, but here's just a, a sampling of the prospects that will be playing in this game. Um, and, and so we'll break it down. The Atlantic All-Stars from the AHL. Brandon Bussey from the Boston Bruins organization. He has played in the ECHL. He quickly moved up to Providence, and he has played extremely well. He was a college free agent signing from Western Michigan last year and has done remarkably well in his first pro season, now getting this nod uh, there. Will Cooley from the New York Rangers organization will be there representing the Hartford Wolfpack. He's, he's gotten some NHL games. He had a chance to make his NHL debut in his hometown. Uh, but to see him have the opportunity to go make his debut in Toronto, and then now he's got this opportunity to play in the All-Star game, really good for him. He's a big guy. He's, he's shown he had a breakout season in the CHL last year. It's only continuing now, so very strong indications there. Tyson Forster, who's had a bit of an interesting developmental kind of arc because he was one of the players that got a chance to play in the AHL early because of the OHL being shut down. He's really on track right now. He's scoring some goals. He's making some plays offensively. We like to see that. Joel Holfer from the St. Louis organization. He has been uh, you know, a top-level prospect for the last few years. He 
helped Canada win gold um, at the 2019 World Juniors, and he is still very much in the mix. Zach Jones from the Rangers organization was just named as a replacement um, to the AHL All-Star Game. So another guy that's kind of on the cusp. He's been up and down a little bit. He's had some opportunities with the Rangers, but he's right where he needs to be. The Central Division has quite a few uh, interesting players that I'm really looking forward to see. Um, and, you know, it it starts with the goaltenders. You've got two of the best young prospect goaltenders in the entire uh, hockey world that will be there. You, you got, you've got Yaroslav Askarov from the Nashville Predators organization, the Milwaukee Admirals, Jesper Wallstedt for the Minnesota Wild slash Iowa Wild. Those two guys are among the cream of the crop, two first-round draft picks, guys that have had a lot of success internationally and guys that are having success right now at the AHL level. Askarov actually got a chance to play with the Predators earlier this year, but his numbers have looked really good. He's been solid. He's making that adjustment to North America pretty seamlessly, so that's really exciting. And then Wallstedt, uh, who recently had his first shutout, he's got a goal scored this season into an empty net. He is also making that adjustment quite well. And I think he's just getting better and better as time goes on. Some of the other notable prospects there, Luke Evangelista, we've actually got a question about him in our Q&A section, which we'll get to later. So he's having a really strong season for the Milwaukee Admirals as well. Thomas Harley, defenseman for the Dallas Stars organization, playing for Texas. He will be in the All-Star game as well. Incredibly mobile, puck-moving defenseman. Lucas Reichel, who's having a heck of a season, one of the top U23 players in the AHL this year, out of the Chicago Blackhawks organization, high-skilled player, doing a lot of good things. He, he looked good in his NHL opportunity that he had earlier this season. The Blackhawks are slow playing his development a little bit, letting him get more reps at the AHL, wanting him to be a top six forward. I think that's totally fine, and he's looked really good. Sammy Walker from the Minnesota Wild organization has played some games with Minnesota. He's been playing primarily with Iowa. He's a speedy player. He's got some tenacity to him. And, you know, he was a guy that had an opportunity. He was he was drafted by Tampa Bay, decided not to sign with them, signs with the hometown Wild, and now he's getting an opportunity to play in the AHL All-Star game. Over in the North Division, I think the headliner there is going to be David Juracek from the Columbus Blue Jackets. And, and really, Juracek, you know, I wanted to spend a second on him because he's having a truly exceptional season for a defenseman. You know, the things that he's done over the course of the year um, with the Cleveland Monsters has been nothing short of incredible. Um, you know, he's he's averaging, um, you know, up to like 0.8 points per game. Uh, at one point, he was averaging about a point a game, which would have been unprecedented for a player his age at his position in this league. But really excited to see what he does among these all-stars because he's had a really strong season to date. Went to the World Juniors, was an exceptional player there. Um, you know, the the top defenseman in the tournament, and now he's got a chance to come back and, and really just hone in on, on his skills. You know, I think if you're the Columbus Blue Jackets, you allow him to continue to develop. Don't bring him up yet. He'll be there next year. He's going to be an everyday NHL or really like what he brings to the table. And I think that he's going to be a very important player for them down the road. Um, another player, uh, the other players on the North Division got Justin Barron from the Montreal organization, Nico Dawes, goaltender from the New Jersey Devils organization, and then Dustin Wolf, or sorry, that Dustin Wolf's in the Pacific, uh, Igor Sokolov, who's having a really strong season. I, I've always liked Igor Sokolov. He's been one of my favorite prospects. He's a big guy who, you know, he, he slimmed down. He got in a better shape. He got his skating. You know, it's not still, still not a strength. But he's, you know, he's an intelligent player. He's got physicality and strength, and he can score. And he's been doing that this season for the Belleville Senators. And now he'll be an all-star. And he is one of the more gregarious individuals you'll ever come across in a really fun interview. So I'm looking forward to reconnecting with Igor Sokolov, who's had a really strong season. Over in the Pacific Division, we've got some uh, a, a rookie in Thomas Bordalo, who has played extremely well for the San Jose Barracuda. Um, you know, I think that he is a high skill, highly intelligent player who, who does a lot of things well, um, does a lot of little things well, and he's got some craftiness in his skill and creativity. Uh, so I really like what he's going to bring to the table. I'm excited to see what kind of tricks he pulls out in the skills competition. Lucas Dostal, the goaltender from the Anaheim Ducks organization, probably the goalie of the future in Anaheim. You know, John Gibson, it's starting to, to look like uh, time is ticking away a little bit for him. And obviously, uh, the Ducks have had a really tough season 
Um, so, you know, you have to figure that uh, they're going to start turning it over to younger players, and Doshal could be one of those guys. Um, he's kind of been biding his time, but he's been really good in the AHL over the last couple of seasons. I just love his competitiveness and his quickness. I think that he does a lot of things well for a guy that's not a, a towering goaltender. Um, so we're looking forward to seeing him. Riker Evans, uh, defenseman out of the Seattle Kraken organization, playing for the Coachella Valley Firebirds. And Coachella Valley is one of the best stories in in the AHL this season, the expansion franchise, they've been exceptional. They have won a lot of hockey games this year. And a, a big piece of that is, is Riker Evans. And Evans has played um, extremely well in those in, in, in throughout the season. He's a mobile defenseman. He makes plays. Um, he's got a lot of really good skill. 24 points in 38 games so far for him. Um, and he's also a plus 20 uh, if you want to... Uh, you know, I, I know that plus minus is a very wonky stat, but he is plus 20 this season. So uh, not bad for an offensive defenseman and certainly a guy that we'll be keeping a closer eye on. And that was a pick that I, you know, I think that a lot of people said, kind of scratched their head when Seattle made it. It was a second round pick as a reentry, uh, but he has certainly made them look good for that over these last couple of years. A couple other guys on that team that will be interesting to watch, John Luke Foodie. Uh, and also Matthew Phillips from the Calgary organization, Foodie from the Colorado organization, and Dustin Wolf. Um, Dustin Wolf was uh, the goalie of the year last year. He has continually put up incredible numbers as a pro, as he did in junior. The question has always been: Is he does he have the size to be an NHL goaltender? And every step of the way, he continues to perform at a high level. So now an All Star and certainly one of the best that we'll see. And I'm personally. Most excited to see these goaltenders, to see Askarov, Wallstep, Wolf, Dostal, Dawes. I mean, there, there are a lot of young guys that have an opportunity to one day be the number one goalie for their organization. I think, you know, Askarov was, you know, the highest Russian ever drafted. Wallstep was a top 20 pick. Um, you've got, you know, Wolf, who was a late pick, but has just continued his ascent through the hockey world. Nico Dawes who has had kind of just grown as a goaltender over these last couple of years and has had a couple of opportunities. Um, and then Hofer, who's been a guy that's you know kind of been the goalie of the future for a while now in St. Louis. And we'll have to see if maybe next year is the future and that that's the time to bring him in. But, you know, in addition to the All-Stars, I did want to point out a, a number of other U23 players in the AHL that have, have really performed at a high level um, you know, the Calgary Wranglers have some of the top producing young players and in, in Connor Zari, who has a 42 points in 42 games so far this season. And Jacob Peltier, who has 36 points in 32 games. And Peltier, of course, got an opportunity to uh, play at the NHL level for a little bit there. So good for him. One of the guys that's had a real bounce back career season uh, is Ruslan Ishkov, who plays for the Bridgeport Islanders, part of the Islanders organization. He's kind of bounced around these last couple of years. Came back to North America this year, and he's really been outstanding. Um, you know, William Eklund is another guy who's played really well in the AHL. He's ha had an opportunity at the NHL level. Um, now, you know, he is showing that his his growth. You know, a top ten pick, a guy with a lot to prove, and he's really done that quite well. Um, you know, and so there there are just a number of players throughout the league that have really put on a, a, a really good showing um, across across these games and across this league. Um, the goaltending, as I mentioned, you know, one guy who won't be there because he's more in a platoon role with the Syracuse Crunch, Hugo Alnefelt, who's had a very strong season, a 929 save percentage, tops among all goalies under 23, just ahead of Dustin Wolf, who has a 928 save percentage. So there are a lot of really good young goalies um, in the AHL right now, and that is really great to see because I know that, you know, goaltending development, is not a straight line. It's not easy. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to wait and see where all those guys end up falling uh, in the end. So I'm going to go, you know, I, I think I think as I go to the AHL All-Star Game, you know, just I'm looking forward to the opportunity to talk to these players and just kind of get a sense of where they feel they're at, where they feel they're, they're how close they are to the NHL. And, and really, it's tough to, it's tough to dictate that. It's tough to, um, to to bide your time and and being a goalie at the minor league or 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 the you know the AAA or wherever a level, um, it's all about reps and 
as we know, you know, there's only t- typically two goaltenders on a roster. There are only so rep, so many reps to go around, so many starts to give out. But guys like Wallstedt and Askarov and Wolf are getting a large share of their starts, and they're really making the most of those opportunities. So I don't tend to get too wrapped up into the numbers that a player puts up um, at the AHL level, unless it's really exceptional. And I mean, you know, Dustin Wolf has had many seasons now of an exceptional save percentage. I don't think he's had a, ni- a save percentage below 920. Um, in a long time. And so that's just, you know, that's really impressive to see that level of consistency. And that's what you're trying to build. You basically want them to over-ripen, to be over-prepared for the NHL, because as they move up to the next level, it's even a step up from there. And now you have to kind of figure out where you're, how how it's going to go for you. And you really don't know until you're there. So really looking forward to seeing what all these guys end up doing. All right, so I got a couple of general things that I wanted to touch on as well, um, some college hockey-related stuff. And the first is Luke Hughes. I don't know if you guys saw this weekend, but Luke Hughes, New Jersey Devils prospect and the University of Michigan sophomore, had four goals against Penn State in a 5-4 win for Michigan. It was Michigan's first sweep since October. They have really struggled to win two consecutive games throughout this year, but Luke Hughes willed them to victory in that one against Penn State. This is starting to look a little reminiscent of last season. Luke Hughes was a second-half performer last year. He was so good in the second half that he got himself into the Hobie top 10. This year, we've been talking a lot. You know, He wasn't really a factor or as big a factor in some of the games. He'd only been okay in a lot of these games. But this weekend, dominant. This weekend, he was able to make some incredible plays and some of the goals that he scored were really high skill or really powerful with the slap shot. So Luke Hughes looking like he is finding his stride. Meanwhile, staying on the Michigan topic, Adam Fantilli, since he has come back from the world juniors, he has been on an absolute tear and that continued this weekend against Penn state. So since the world junior championship, he has points in every game, He has multiple points in five of the six games that he's played in. He had a four-point game against Penn State on Friday and now is just one point off the NCAA scoring lead despite the fact that he has played fewer games than anybody. He has 22 games played. The current leader, Ryan McAllister, has 28 games played, leads him by one point. A 1.77 points per game average so far for Adam Fantilli. That is identical to the points-per-game average that Jack Eichel put together in his Hobie Baker season. The question about Adam Fantilli is, will he have played enough games? Will he have made a big enough impact? Will Michigan be a team to beat as the season goes on? And if that is the case, it's my opinion that Adam Fantilli is the best player in college hockey this season. That doesn't always mean that you win the Hobie Baker. Just ask Kyle Connor. Michigan fans very much still mad, as I certainly I'm well aware, but we're reminded of in my mentions this weekend when I talked about the points per game average that Adam Fantilli has put together in his freshman season. But really impressive work from the guy who we expect to go number two in the NHL draft this year. And I personally think the reason why teams are tanking isn't necessarily just because of Connor Bedard. It's because they desperately want a top four pick. And yes, Gary Bettman, teams tank. They do. So uh, I don't know if you guys saw that. Well, let's, let's go on that tangent. Let's do it. Let's go. We're going on a tangent. So Gary Bettman said that teams don't tank. And he's kind of right, but also kind of not. Because very clearly, NHL general managers are the ones that are tanking. It's not the players. It's not the coaches. And really, the general managers don't necessarily want to tank. But what do they do? They weaken their roster as much as possible. They have stopgap. You know, you look. A couple of years ago, the New York Rangers even put out a letter and saying, hey, we're, we're going to start trading some of your favorite players. Guys are going different places. We're tearing this thing down. We're going to start over. They get two top two picks. They haven't necessarily worked out perfectly yet, but both Kako and Lafreniere are showing some improvement. But either way, you know, they, 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 they focus more on draft picks and continued building. So teams do tank. I mean, they, they, they basically will be purposely worse than they were before and it's not there's nothing wrong with that because i think that the the players are never going to the product on the ice you're never going to have players stop trying the chicago blackhawks players guys like seth jones and all them they don't care if they get Connor bedard that's not their concern that's not their worry 
they just need to continue to play. They're trying to earn their paycheck, and they're also trying to maybe improve their team and improve their situation. But you look at Kyle Davidson and some of the moves that he made, trading away Kirby Doc, trading away Alex Dabrinkit, going for draft picks over what anything else, basically. Those were decisions made in an effort to reset. And teams have to reset sometimes. They're losing their top two core players or their top two core players aren't as effective as they used to be in Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. Now, I do think Patrick Kane remains a top player in the NHL, but this season injury has certainly hurt his uh, ability to play at a Patrick Kane-like level. So you you have to restart. You, have, you can't just kind of rebuild on the fly. And I think that Chicago is not necessarily tearing it down to the studs, but they're tearing it down pretty significantly. And we're going to see more trades from that team as well. We could see some of their defensemen move on. We could see some of their other forwards move on. They will do whatever they have to do to get more picks and more uh, more opportunities to pick prospects, especially in this year's draft where I think a lot of people are excited about not just that top four, but what else is available in the first round to you. So, yes, Gary Bettman, teams do tank. Uh, even though the weighted lottery system does deter a certain level, you know, you can't, the Buffalo Sabres know all too well you can be as bad as you want to be, but you can still lose the lottery and lose out on Connor McDavid and end up with Jack Eichel, which wasn't a bad consolation prize, although obviously things didn't quite work out there the way that everybody had hoped either. So it's never a perfect situation. You're, you know, you put all your chips into the, the tank basket um, and you just tank. So that is happening. Uh, a couple of other things I wanted to mention. For the second straight weekend, the number one team in the major college hockey polls was swept. Uh, St. Cloud State lost two consecutively to Minnesota Duluth after reaching the number one status this season. The same thing happened to Quinnipiac the week before. Um, so basically, this it's such it's so indicative of this season. Parity across college hockey, anybody can beat anybody. It really is that simple. I mean, we talked about Michigan. They have barely, they have so few sweeps this year because it's really difficult to win two straight in college hockey. What this means for the tournament, who knows? But I think that St. Cloud still remains a very good team. I think Minnesota is the best team in the country. I've been saying it since the beginning of the season, and I will continue to say it. I think they have the deepest roster, the most complete roster, and everything going at the right time. But that's what you need. You need everything going at the right time of the season, and that doesn't always happen. So that's something that we'll be keeping uh, a, a closer eye on as well. Uh, but but college hockey, just fascinating. I also wanted to point out one other thing. So one of the things I do, I, I'll do color commentary for the Iowa Heartlanders and the ECHL this year. You can watch those games on flowhockey.tv. And I wanted to spotlight this because it was actually, they were playing for the Fort Wayne Comets, the uh, ECHL affiliate of the Edmonton Oilers currently. And on the team right now is Ryan Fanti, who was a, College free agent, signed out of the University of Minnesota Duluth, sent to the ECHL to get more reps. And I have to say, he put together one of the best goaltending performances I've seen all season at any level on Saturday night against the Heartlanders. He made 41 saves. He was the difference in the game. I think the, 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 it, it was a close game. It was a game that you know Fort Wayne ends up winning by a narrow margin. And Ryan Fanti was outstanding. He's a big player. He's, you know, he's over six foot three. He doesn't waste his movement in the net. I thought he looked like a pro goalie. And when a guy looks like a pro goalie, it's usually that they're making all the easy saves or the quote-unquote easy saves. They're making saves look easy. They're making the saves that maybe they shouldn't make, like he did on a couple of odd man breaks. And they're just, they're not, they're never rattled. They're just, it, they're, they play the same the whole way. It was one of the most complete goaltending performances I've seen all season. Um, at any level, and I thought, you know, Ryan Fancy looked like an NHL prospect in that game. You know, he's had really good numbers over his last several games. Fort Wayne has played better as a team, um, but Ryan Fancy uh, definitely looking really good. So that could be, you know, that, that's a guy that's probably still a, a year or two away, but you've got him in your system. You've got an opportunity to make, uh, you know, to make your goaltending depth better. And, you know, I think Ryan Fanti was a, a a very strong college free agent signing. And now we'll see if he continues to progress as he has throughout the CCHL season into the AHL next year. Very well could be good news for the Edmonton Oilers. But I wanted to point out, I, I thought it was such an impressive performance. I wanted to make sure I talked about it on the podcast. 
All right, it's question and answer time because that's what we do on this podcast. You send in your questions and I, I answer them and I'm happy to do it. Um, we've got a lot of questions. I'm going to try to run through these as quickly as possible. And we're going to start things off with Jackson. And he asks, how has Drew Camesso looked this season? Well, Jackson, Drew Camesso, Chicago Blackhawks draft pick, currently playing at Boston University, um, chose not to play in the Summer World Juniors this year because he wanted to focus on his season and, you know, <coughs> excuse me, and do that. Um, as far as Boston University goes, they've been great. Boston University has had a great season. They've been very uh, tough to play against. They have won. They're on a current, uh, let's see here, I think six-game winning streak uh, across the ECA, uh, the or Hockey East, rather. Geez, going way back there. Uh, and, you know, had a, a big sweep against Boston College this weekend. You know, as far as Drew Camesso goes, um, I would say that he's played okay. He's 14 and 4 this season, so obviously he's got a nice win-loss record, but a 9-10 save percentage. Not exactly what you'd expect from a goalie of his caliber. Um and honestly his his numbers over the course of his collegiate career have not been amazing. 9-15 save percentage as a, a freshman, 9-14 as a sophomore, and now 9-10 as a junior. Fully expect him to continue to to progress. I think he'll sign with Chicago. But if you're looking at Chicago's goaltending depth, Jackson Stauber has actually gotten some opportunities in the Blackhawks organization, has played NHL games, has won some of his NHL starts, and has looked really sharp. So all of a sudden, the competition is ramped up within the, uh, within, the, within the organization. And so, you know, that'll be interesting to see how that affects the decision of Camesso this season. You know, we fully expected him to sign with the Blackhawks after BU season is over. It might not be until April. Uh, with the way they're playing, they absolutely have an opportunity to go through. Um, and, you know, he, I would say that the thing about um, Camesso is, you know, we're just looking to find that level of consistency again. He's had, he's been prone to the big game against uh, a couple times this season, um, you know, games where he's given up five or more goals. I mean, it's happened only a couple of times, uh, but a lot of games where, where he's had those, those big games against, you've got to try to limit those a little bit more. Um, you know, he did have a 40 save performance against Boston College on Saturday. Um, and, and that was in a win and that was on the road as well. So, you know, he, he does have that in his system. Um, and I think he's a really good goalie. I think he's a, a sharp goalie. I think he plays the, the modern style of NHL goaltending very, uh, you know, uh, sharp technically. Um, I like him. I think he's going to be fine. Uh, but certainly the numbers have not necessarily borne that out this year. All right, next question comes from Gary, and this gets, back, gets us back to the AHL. Gary asks, where are your thoughts on Luke Evangelista and his development? Currently 30 points in 39 games played, plus eight tops and assists for rookies with 22. You see him as a top six. Well, I'd say that you know Luke Evangelista, if he's going to make it to, in the NHL, I think he's top six is lofty. I think he's probably a, a real quality scoring depth third liner. Um, I like him. I think that he's got he does have that capability to to elevate um and maybe play into a top six role. Um, I just think that it's gonna be a little bit harder for him um, you know, to be that top six level producer. Um, but you know, like he he's he's a quality winger. He's had success when he's played with really good players. He obviously had a tremendous OHL season last year with 111 points. Um, he's up to 30 this year in, with Milwaukee. Um, you know, and I think I'd just like to see before I, you know, make any sweeping statements about him, I'd like to see kind of how he looks at the NHL level. He's certainly, you know, he's, he's, he's average size, but he's got some good quickness to him and he's always played really well with high end players. So I think that there's still a real good opportunity for him to do a little bit more. Um, you know, I think he's in the right place developmentally. I think Milwaukee's doing a fine job with him. You just have to kind of bring him along and see when there is a space available for him on the NHL roster. And make sure you're putting him into a position to succeed because he's got a lot of tools to be a really good prospect. Um, so I think top six is a little lofty. Top nine feels pretty, con you know, it's 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 a slight hedge on that. All right. Our next question comes from Leo. And Leo asks, Alex LaFerriere looks to be having a good year at Harvard. How is his NHL projection looking? Well, 
he is having a very good season in the AHL is Alex Laferriere. And he has been, he's had a lot of big games. He's had those games where he's had, you know, like uh, a few, um, few like big time point performances. And I think that that's been fun to watch because he's a player that I think, um, you know, he kind of had his, his college start stalled a little bit because he had to go back uh, for the COVID year. And then he went back to the USHL. And I think that may have actually been the best thing for him. He had 50 points with the Des Moines Buccaneers. And then he comes in ready as a, you know, an older freshman or an older first year player. And he had 31 points last season, but he's already up to 27 in 21 games this year, 13 goals, 14 assists. Um, you know, I think he's another guy, one of those guys that probably plays down your lineup a little bit further. He's, he has a very similar profile to Luke Evangelista we just talked about. Um, but I love the tenacity, the grit that he plays with. I think that he's got some, um, you know, he's got that on top of his skill. You know, right shot guy who can score. Um, I think he's developing extremely well. You know, and I would probably let him stay at Harvard for another year. Let him be a more dominant player. You know, I think that there's a good chance that Sean Farrell and Matt Coronado could move on as soon as this season. Um, and then that allows LaFerriere to get in there and be a top guy. Um, he's doing so well now without being, you know, one of the primary uh, scorers for his team. Uh, but, you know, maybe give him that opportunity next year with that extra year of development, give him an opportunity to get that Harvard degree. I know it might be a little bit scary for a Los Angeles Kings fan worrying about free agency. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I think there's a lot to like there. I'm sure that, that LA will be making a push to sign him this season, however. All right. Our next one comes from Iserman season. If you were Detroit, would you sign Eric Portillo out of the University of Michigan as a UFA or just offer Carter Guylander his ELC or both? It's a really good question, and it's a tough one to answer because I think there are a couple of other factors that we have to consider before we get into this. The first is that we fully expect that Eric Portillo will not sign with the Buffalo Sabres. That's my expectation. It's not confirmed. It, I would say that the chances of him signing with Buffalo are roughly 10%. Um, but that's because Buffalo has a pretty loaded goalie prospect system. Detroit has an interesting goalie prospect system. They have Sebastian Kosa as the pre presumed goalie of the future. I don't think it makes a ton of sense to use more contracts on goalies, um, with the exception of Carter Kylander. I think that you, you, he's a guy that you drafted in the seventh round. He has flourished at Colgate. He is having a career year at Colgate right now. He's a six foot five goaltender. There's a lot to like about his game. Now, Colgate hasn't been a particularly competitive group like then you know they're not necessarily going to be um you know going into the national tournament who knows unless they go on a run maybe Guylander gets hot and they they go on a run at the ECAC uh tournament but what I would say is um if I'm Eric Portillo the situation I'm looking for is for a less crowded goalie goalie spot he could get traded before the trade deadline um to a team likely for just a you know a, a conditional draft pick and maybe that team is successful in signing him at the end of the season um, however, you know, there's, there's a lot of value in going to free agency. Portillo isn't a perfect prospect by any stretch of the imagination. He's a very good prospect. He has a lot of upside. There's a bit of rawness to his game still. He still needs to improve on some of his decision-making um, and, and some of the other things, but he is a very good young goaltender. And so a lot of teams are going to be interested in that kind of player. Buffalo has the log jam. They have Devin Levi, Yuka Pekalukinen. You know, they have players that are kind of in the mix already with their system. And I think the big reason that, you know, that Eric Portillo is unlikely to sign there is the same reason that it would be unlikely to sign with Detroit. Um, so if I'm the Red Wings, I'm focusing more on the guy that we got in the seventh round in Carter Guylander um, and working with him and doing some more development work with him. Um, you don't, I, I just don't see a, a situation where both would be signed. And I, again, I don't think that um, Eric Portillo would be eager to sign with the Red Wings given the goalie competition. Like right now, Sebastian Kosa is playing the ECHL. Why is he playing the ECHL? Because there's a bit of a logjam right now from the NHL down. Um, you know, and you also have Billy Huso now. So there, you know, what what is the incentive for a Portillo to sign with Detroit? Um, and so I think that he would more than likely go elsewhere. Uh, but you've got the rights to Carter Guylander. 
He's a really interesting prospect. He's a guy that I think that they should be very thrilled to have um, and, and, and to work with. And I think that it's more, more worthwhile giving him the ELC than getting into the mix and competing with all the others for Eric Portillo. I just don't think it's a good use of time or resources um, when you already have, you know, kind of your goalie pipeline pretty well set. Um, you can never have enough goalies, I guess, but still, I think that that's probably where it goes. I don't think that um, Portillo would be likely to sign there. All right, Mike Craddy asks, thoughts on the trio of Bruins prospects, Kuntar, uh, Trevor Kunter, Andre Gasol, and Jelvik. <coughs> Excuse me. Jeez, I'm getting dry. It is freezing cold outside right now, and it is dry as all get out, so I apologize for coughing in your ear. But uh, as far as uh, Bo- the Boston College, it's been kind of a tough season uh, for BC in the first year under Greg Brown. And, um, you know, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I mean, I think that there's certainly uh, plenty to be uh, to be happy about if you are the Eagles because they have one of the top recruiting classes in the country coming in next season, probably the top recruiting class in the country. So that's a, a nice feather in their cap. But, you know, certainly it's been a, a bit of a tougher year. It hasn't been that bad a year, though, for for Kuntar and uh, and Gasol, who I think have elevated from the previous season. Gasol spent that extra year in the USHL last year. Um, you know, he's he's shown some some real jump. Um, he's had some good games of late. Uh, I think Kuntar is a guy that does a lot of things well. He's probably going to be down way down your lineup. Um, you know, and 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 that's probably you know what what you're going to get. Um, Oscar Jelvik, same thing. You know, I I didn't have a, a a good book on him. You know, he's producing well enough for a freshman. Um, we'll have to kind of see exactly where he ultimately ends up uh, long term in terms of his uh, his ability to you know to kind of adjust to the college game. Only ten points so far, one goal. Um, hasn't had a point in the last several games. So you know, you just kind of have to wait and see what with him. So it's more there. But you know, the other thing, the Bruins. Uh, I want. I did want to point out. You know, this is not Boston College, but over at Boston University, um, you've got a really interesting draft pick in Ty Gallagher, who had a four-point weekend um, uh, against BC, and is starting to kind of come into his own a little bit as a young defenseman. Now he hasn't had the best season to date, uh, but it's improving. And so Gallagher with that four-point game, he's now up to 16 points in 25 games this season. Um, as a sophomore, I think he's a much longer-term raw prospect that's going to require a lot of development. But to have a weekend like that, you have to be thrilled um, if you're the Bruins, especially when it was a big rivalry weekend and BU was uh, able to get past BC. All right, we're going to start talking more about 2023 NHL Draft. And our first question comes from Hannah Stewart. And she asks, who is not necessarily someone you think is the best in any areas for the 23 draft, but who you really like that'll probably go rounds three, four-ish? Now, that's a really good question because it's still kind of early in the process. You know, as I'm putting my list together, I'm seeing guys that I could kind of project as like that mid-range kind of guy, um, you know, and it's it's still being sorted out. Um, So... You know, I'd say players that I that I like quite a bit that I think will go in that third or fourth round range. Um, you know, I'm going to be fascinated to see exactly where Jaden Perron goes. Now, I know that there are people that haven't projected as a first round draft pick. There are people that expect him to go in the second round. There are some scouts that said they probably wouldn't take him until at least the third, maybe the fourth. Um, and he's a player that I like an awful lot and I think he probably will go in the second round. So I'm not going to include him that, but I do want to bring him up because he's a very polarizing kind of prospect right now. Um, and you know, Hannah, to be honest, I think that in this draft class, sorting out that tier of the guys that will be mid round picks is still very much a work in progress. So I don't have a great answer for you yet. Um, you know, there I have another question about kind of a deep sleeper, and I'll, I'll get to that one too. And and but you know, I think that at this stage of the draft process, you know, we're still so focused on what order this the top twenty should go. You know, because really, after you get outside the fourth, the fourth pick, like the top four guys, once you get past Bedard, Beatelli, Carlson, Mitchkov, 
you're starting to have a lot more questions about the next group of guys. Dvorsky, Smith, you know, Moore, Jaeger, Benson. I mean, there are a lot of different things that you have to kind of look at and sort through. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, in terms of uh, the rounds three through four, I think there's a chance to make a lot of really good picks in that range. Um, so I don't have a specific guy yet. But stay tuned. We will definitely be talking about mid-round prospects as uh, we get closer and closer. This next one comes from Nick, and he asks, who would you see as the best fit for the Habs if they draft five, six, seven? Um, I mean, really at this point, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, uh, you have to be – I don't think you can be picky. I think you just got to continue to they, – they're, they're building a really nice prospect system. They've got guys that I think are going to play for them down the road. Um, they have some really intriguing players throughout their um, their entire organization. Um, you know, I think that you want to continue to get more dynamic up front. And if you want to be more dynamic up front, you can't do much better than Will Smith. I think he's one of the most dynamic players in this draft. Um, you know, I could very well see Oliver Moore get into this conversation in the top seven. Incredibly fast, good two-way center. He can score. Um, he's got some strength and and he's he's really his his game has taken off. Um, he's a guy that has moved up from, you know, maybe second half of the first round all the way into this top 10 conversation. And there might even be a few people out there that would say he's better than Will Smith. I wouldn't say that yet because I think Will Smith is just too darn dynamic. But Oliver Moore is absolutely looking like the number two guy at the NTDP right now. And if he's there at seven, that's a really good spot. The other thing that the the Canadians would have to decide, and I think having drafted well these last couple of years does help this. What if Matt Vaymichkov is there? Really good chance he's there in that range. And if he is, do you pick him? And I think if you're the Habs, you do. He could be a transformational player. Um, I think that you know, we he's out in Russia, so we kind of forget about him. He's got a contract that'll last for a couple of years, so you kind of forget about uh, you know the any any hopes of him making an immediate impact. But what you do have is a chance to land probably the smartest player in the draft, one of the most crafty offensive players you'll see a guy who may not have necessarily the shot like Connor Bedard does, but certainly has the same level of scoring sense um, and is offensively creative. Um, so if I'm in that five, six, seven range and I've got, you know, I've got my, my core and I know that, yes, you've got Cole Caulfield and some of the guys that aren't, aren't the biggest guys out there. Um, and, and Mitch Cobb is not a big guy. I still think that that's probably where I would go if I were if I were Montreal. I just think it's too, if, especially if he's there at six or seven, it's just the value is too high to pass up on a player of that quality, I think, even with the risk, even with the risk. All right, Hockey Research 8 has our next question, and this is about the draft as well. Your biggest mid-round sleeper for the 2023 draft. So this is similar to the question that Hannah asked and, and, you know, mid rounds, it's, again, it's, it's difficult. I think what, what I'm looking for is guys that you know, are re-entries, pl players that are maybe on the college track, players that are going to have some more time to develop. And I think one of the guys that I've really come to like this season, and I liked him last year too. I thought he should have been drafted last year um, as a later round pick. Um, that's Cole Knubel. I, I think that he, you know, he's playing for the Fargo force this year. He is uh, eligible still. He's having a big season. Um, he's not a big guy, but he is very aggressive off the puck. He makes a lot of plays. He scores goals. And, you know, I, I think that the fact that he is, you know, has NHL bloodlines does help. You know, I think that the fact that Mike Knubel is his dad is, you know, you, you, you get, you have, a, you build up a lot of respect for, for Mike, but you also see some of the elements in Cole. The one thing Cole doesn't have is the size. You know, he's he's five foot ten, um, and whereas Mike was a, a big guy and you know played really well. But you know, nineteen goals and thirty nine points in thirty one games this year for Cole Knubel. So he's on pace to 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 go well past his point total from last season. He's been a bit of a he's been a way more of a play driver this year. Uh, he's committed to the University of Notre Dame. hasn't necessarily been the the outlet where a lot of high end offensive players have gone. Um, you know, but they they have had guys like Anders Lee and, and Kyle Palmieri in the past. Um, but, you know, they've had a harder time locking down some of these guys that are highly productive players. Uh, but Cole Knubel looks like he could be that next guy. And I think that, you know, developmentally getting that uh, the schooling that you get 
at Notre Dame from a hockey perspective and the defensive uh, elements of your game that have to improve there, I think is a good thing. So he's a guy that I'm looking at in the mid to late rounds as a player that I think will have a chance to play in the NHL, uh, despite not having the great size profile and, and, and maybe not being quite dynamic um, enough. Uh, but I do think that he deserves to be picked this year. All right, next question comes from NP, and this question is, thoughts on Adar Suniev? And Adar Suniev currently plays for the Penticton Vs in the BCHL, big body, putting up big numbers this year, committed to the University of Massachusetts. He is of Russian descent, but has been in North America for the last five or so years. Um, And I haven't done a huge deep dive on Penticton yet. I plan to because they have a number of players that are certainly um, draft eligible. So I'm going to be doing more video work on Penticton very soon. Uh, So I don't want to give you anything real definitive on Suniev until I look, but I do know, you know, based on previous years and certainly some of the things that I've seen from him, uh, this year, in the limited viewings that I've had of Penticton, there, there are definitely some NHL tools there. He's a guy that I think uh, you know has that size profile. I just want to hone in a little bit more. He's a late 2004 birth date. Um, you know, it was basically a couple months shy of the draft for last year, and so I think that he's one of those many players. Bradley Nadeau being another uh, that you know I want to really kind of hone in on here in the second half of the season. Uh, get some retroactive video work done on them and then kind of see where things go after that. But I think that he's a very intriguing prospect for this draft. Certainly somebody that I've been aware of and want to get a a little bit better handle on. All right, this next question is also our last question, and it comes from Jonathan. Jonathan asks, do you see the day where a goalie could go top five in the draft? If so, what would that goalie look like? Well, that is the million-dollar question. I think every team wants to find goalies. They want to find goalies that they can have to be their franchise centerpiece. Now, we saw Marc-Andre Fleury go first overall, Carey Price go fifth overall. Nobody's really gone higher than 11th overall uh, since then. And so what would that goalie have to look like? Well, they'd have to look kind of like Carey Price. They'd have to be big. They'd have to have incredible technique. They'd have to be incredibly predictable. Um, That is the biggest thing with a goaltender. Predictability. Can you be relied upon every single game? Are your numbers in the 930 or higher range at the junior or European pro level? Are you on a, a development track that suggests that what you're doing as a junior is sustainable? Um, you look at the top guys, I, I think like, you know, Jesper Wallstead has been one of the guys that I felt looked like the cleanest of the goalies. Um, you know, the the guy that just had a lot of the tools, Spencer Knight, also among that group where it's just like he is just so dialed in and, and, and has such tremendous hockey sense. So it, it would be very, very difficult for anybody to really uh, get into that top five because the top five pick is so valuable. It's just you cannot miss on that pick. Some teams have in recent years. Sometimes it's been because of injury or or other things. But you just cannot miss on a top five. And the risk level with a goaltender is incredibly high. And teams have invested more in goalie scouting. They've invested more in goalie evaluation and then development as well. But it's still a very difficult position to project out because you know when you draft that player at 17 or 18 years old, it could be as many as eight years before you see that player on your roster. It could be as few as two years, uh, but it's n- almost never going to be an immediate step into the NHL situation. Um, so that's another factor. There are just so many different things. So it w- this this goalie would have to be a freak of nature um, that every team just says cannot miss to be drafted in the top five because there's just too much risk. So much of a draft is managing risk. It's saying, you know, why do we go for the bigger player over the smaller player? Well, the bigger player has a higher percentage opportunity to make the NHL. You say, okay, well, this player is five foot nine. Well, there's only a small percentage of players that are five foot nine in the NHL right now. You know, those those are the types of risk analysis kind of things that you have to do. And when it comes to the goalie, the risk is off the charts. So that's why I think it's going to be very hard for a team to use a top five pick on a goalie. And it certainly won't be this year. 
Um, and I'm not sure exactly when we'll see it uh, next, but that's it, it could be a long way off. But again, you never know because you, you suddenly have all these different players that kind of come in. You, you never know that if you'll see a player that scores like Connor Bedard or, you know, a player that skates like Connor McDavid. You know, we just we haven't seen that goalie yet, um, but we'll, we, I'm sure we will soon. Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm not sure we will. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, it's it's an inexact science as it is, uh, but that was nothing like contradicting myself at the end of the podcast. Um, anyway, that is the end of the podcast. Uh, I'll be heading out to Laval, uh, where I will be recording from next week. We'll focus on some of the things that I saw at the AHL Skills Competition, as well as some of the conversations I had with those players. We'll also talk more about the NHL Draft. And if you ever do have a question that you'd like to ask me, Hit me up on Twitter at Chris M. Peters. Um, you can either DM me or send me a note and just say, for this is for the podcast, and I'll be happy to answer on air. And I want to thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for your questions. Also, special thanks to Colt Joyce for producing today and helping me out. Uh, episode 70. I mean, we've been going at this for a little over two years now, or it'll be two years next month. Um uh, with this podcast, I can't thank you guys enough for coming along on the ride with me. We've had a lot of different iterations and changes to formats and all different sorts of things. And I'm sure there'll be more changes to come. But through 70 episodes, can't thank you guys enough for everything you've done for this podcast. Please do leave a kind rating and review. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already on your app of choice. And you can always watch us on YouTube or on flowhockey.tv. That's going to do it for this weekend's, this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sets. My name is Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.